Mm. By the way, part of the challenge is there's no perfect answer. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it will not be a totally smooth, no. clean, easy yeah. process. Yeah. Um, and, and it is about stepping up into that challenge and, and deciding, you know, where do you need to be? Hey folks, Jason Witten here, your host of the Wealth Faculty Podcast. And this week, uh, I had an absolute treat to sit down with a very good friend of mine. Uh, I personally uh, count Anna Rubenstein as one of my mentors, one of my faculty members when it comes to parenting, when it comes to becoming a man from boys to men, man to elder. We talk about that uh, in today's podcast as well. Anna Rubenstein, uh, give you some background um, is an expert on the rites of passage, developing and creating healthy rites of passage in this 20th, 21st century world for us in the Western world. In um, other places and cultures, there are healthy rites of passage. In our world, it's like get drunk at 18 and get drunk again at 21 and all sorts of weird and strange and dysfunctional rites of passage that uh, happen for us as young humans, from infant to child, from child to adolescent, from adolescent to young adult, to, to mature adult, to parent, to partner, to elder, there are rites of passage uh, in all of these stages of life. And we dive deep today and talk with Anna about the work that he's been doing for the last 30 years in this space. Anna was a medical doctor. Um, counselor, mentor, speaker, workshop facilitator now all across the world in more than 20 countries and more than 50 schools around Australia as well. Over 200,000 attendees have attended his workshops and it is now global. It's a global movement which is super powerful. I love this work. I've done it personally with my children, my daughter and my son. Uh, Ritesofpassageinstitute.org if you want to track it down. Uh, Highly recommend it, Dr. Anna Rubenstein. Uh, we had a good, a good long, deep conversation today about the rites of passage for us as humans as we move through this thing called life. I hope you enjoy this conversation today with uh, Anna Rubenstein. Take care, Anna Rubenstein. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here with you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for having us up here in your amazing place, hosting us in somewhere that's uh, just mind-blowing today. It's been raining, waterfalls everywhere. Fantastic. Did you turn it on on purpose? No, no, no. But I, I like weather, yes. I have to say. You know, I, I, I like when it's raining and windy and stormy. I was out surfing this morning. It was just spectacular. So, yeah, it's a good day. Living in nature. Well, first question, jump in 2020. Uh, uh, a mad year for everybody, but for, personally for you, uh, one of the, you know, you talked about it, a, uh, you know, a, a transition, a progress, you know, in a rites of passage for you as an adult, your first passing of your parent, your mum passed away. Big 2020 for you. Big 2020. Emotional 2020. Yes. Uh, I was supposed to be actually working in Europe and because of COVID we couldn't travel and my mother got sick and went into hospital, 89 years old, had a, had a big life and I got to sit with her for a month while she um, – you know, basically passed and mm. be there at the end. And, and that, that was a blessing, you know, difficult, obviously, but a blessing. And then, you know, my 91 year old father, who's on, on his own now after 62 years of marriage. And what I hadn't realized was that 
the passing of my mother, it was like I had this structure around me that was my parents. Yes. And when I'd go home, I was still on some level their child. And all of a sudden when mum passed, it's not only that she's died but that whole structure is no longer there. Mm. And all of a sudden my father, uh, who is the father of the house, is vulnerable and lost and can't look after himself. So, you know, my work is rites of passage, which are transitional moments in life. Yes. And it was absolutely a rite of passage for every single person in our family. Mm. And was that the first awareness of that rite of passage for you or was that on your radar already? Because I'm, I'm just thinking for me right now, my dad is in a similar place potentially to your mum. He's very unwell um, and, um, you know, it's been probably – in that zone myself and and the awareness for me and the awareness for you, was it on your radar or was it? Well, look, unfortunately what I find is people don't talk about this stuff, yeah. especially death. Yeah. Um, it's like we try and hide death over here somewhere and um, pretend it's not going to happen to us. Uh-huh. I find there's a lot of denial around it. Yeah. Uh, but actually it was, you know, a very powerful process and I, I think we need to be having conversations about death and, you know, yeah, you're, you're in a zone and, and hopefully – you can be spending as much time as possible with your father. Uh, may well be difficult, but it is a really important time in our lives to be in the presence of death. Yeah, yeah. It, and it, it, the, that conversation for me right now is quite poignant and, and you know, universe provides we get to have this chat today. Um, you know, death has actually triggered me in the last two to three years in my family that, that, that shock almost the denial of it being um, part of life and now in the last, you know, number of years it's been really up in my face, uh, cousin committing suicide, my two nieces passing away, my dad very ill almost, you know, and it's quite confronting. What what could you say about that? And it's kind of a selfish question as well as hopefully the listeners get something out of this. Again, I was denying. I, I didn't want to talk about it, but it's something that's so important. Yeah, look, maybe the way I'll answer it is that not long after my mother died, I came back up here to my property and I went for a walk out in the forest and there's a particular place that I really like going to and there are these beautiful big trees there and I go out there and I sort of look at the trees and, you know, maybe even talk to them a little bit or Mm. they don't necessarily answer. But, you know, I just really feel into the place and, and I was out there and this time I noticed all of a sudden in amongst these magnificent trees, there's a dead tree. And there's another dead tree and there's another dead tree and there's nothing special. The dead trees are just mixed in with the live trees and there's a dead tree on the, on the ground and some dead branches and there are things growing out of the dead trees. And it really made me realise that, first of all, in nature, death is just completely normal and mixed in with life and it's actually necessary. Those trees need to die yeah. for new growth to happen, to create space and, and so from, it, was, it was a very um, healing moment for me in terms of what had happened with my mother. To be able to look, of it, look at it, yes, I have the sadness, but instead of feeling like um, it's the end, it's it, to, to be able to feel that it's actually part of the process and, and as difficult as it's been for me with my mother dying, it's also, it's been on another level regenerative. Mm. You know, I feel like I've really grown. I've gone to the next level in my life. And I talk about this model of, a, you know, that we're all on a staircase of life, which I'm happy to talk about yes, at some stage. Would- and the death of my mother really put me 
from the step I was on to the next step. The rites of passage, which is, you know, your passion over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, your epiphany or, or realisation as a doctor, your classical training is as a doctor. And it fascinates me actually right now just in thinking of that in as being trained as a doctor, you know, was death something that was kind of like, that's just the way things are, just get on with it and, and, and don't make any emotional meaning out of it? Is it? Was there something that you had to switch from that training to this training for you now? Well, um, I saw two very different ways of dying as a doctor. Yeah. So uh, I saw people who died in hospital, elderly people. I'd look after them and the family say, keep them alive no matter what and mm. we'd have them on all sorts of drips and antibiotics and drugs and, uh, you know, they'd be unconscious for weeks but everything to try and keep them alive and then when they finally did li- die, they'd be wailing and crying and absolute despair, um, you know, we, which is fair enough. Uh, but but it was all about we, there's still hope. We want to keep them alive. And then I also looked after people in home care who were dying in, in, in a hospice scenario, including young people, and the family was around and there was this acceptance they were going to die and slowly, slowly their worlds would become smaller and smaller. And then eventually when they did pass away, surrounded by family, yeah. the only time I've ever felt that feeling that was in the room was when a baby was born, like just full of love. Yeah. And, you know, I think we actually have a, an opportunity to see death very differently and it actually ties in. I think we have an opportunity to see every major transition point in our lives differently. Yeah. So I talk about this idea of the staircase of life, that we're all on a staircase and we move from, you know, baby to child to teenager, young adult, adult, potentially parent, grandparent, elder, there's all these steps. And in the ideal world, we move up those steps well and with awareness and it's a facilitated process. In fact, it should ideally be facilitated by a rite of passage. Now, what I see so often is people kind of get kicked up the staircase by disaster and trauma and Mm. loss and Mm. disease and accidents and, and those sorts of things. So... You know, children can go through puberty and it can be the most difficult time of their lives or we can do it and and actually make it a celebration and a really special time. Yeah. People get pregnant and it can either be done, you know, it can happen in a really difficult way or it can be celebrated. Same with childbirth, same with, you know, so many different things. Uh, and, And I think when we do it well, it's a really positive experience and they talk about people actually moving to the next level of consciousness. Yes. When it's done badly and through through grief and trauma, it actually creates more wounding and issues that people then have to deal with in the future. Yeah, the the idea that a rite of passage, my first introduction to you and your work was through my, my son and my daughter and uh, we've done some of your stuff out here uh, on the camp and read your books and, and I've even taken my son away for, you know, a rite of passage that was uh, – was, uh, uh, instigated by the work that you've done, which was amazing. For me, it's fantastic to hear you say that the rite of passage is not just for the kids and the adolescents, but it continues all the way through to, you know, later in life and, and these different rites of passage. I'm fascinated by that. Talk a little bit more about these sort yeah. of steps for me because um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, great. So when I started and I was working as an emergency medicine doctor. Yeah. And which I did for 15 years, and I'd see all these 
you know, boys coming into the emergency medicine department who crashed their cars or their motorbikes or their bicycles or jumped out of a tree and missed the river or, you know, something. Yeah. And and after a while I realised that they were trying to do something to sort of create their own initiation, yes. make themselves feel like men. And then I saw girls coming in who, you know, gotten drunk and done something that they'd regret for the rest of their lives or ended up in a situation they should never have been in. And, and I was like, wow, this is like, it's a big problem. And this is not the rite of passage I want to see my boys going through. So my first work was with uh, boys and I studied Indigenous communities around the world and they all created rites of passage for their boys to become young men yep. and girls to become young women. This is 25 years ago. And then I realised that when the boys and girls go through their rite of passage, their parents also need to go through a rite of passage and go to the next step and let go of their children and, and, and let go of knowing everything that's going on and that style of parenting yeah. and move to a different relationship with their children where it's about being available and it's sort of more a mentoring uh, type relationship. And if they don't let go and they keep trying to treat their, their young adults like children, the kids are going to push them away and it's going to create conflict. And then as I studied it further, I came to this conclusion that, yes, we are all on a staircase of life and we move from one stage to the next. And um, when we move to a step, it feels good for a while. Like this is the right step for me to be on. I'm, a, I'm now a young adult or I'm now doing such and such a job or, you know, I'm now, um, you know, engaged, Yeah. Wh whatever it is. But yeah. then at a certain point we get ag agitated with where we are. Uh -huh. And we know that there's something else and we know that it's time to move. And I'm sure that there will be people listening to this podcast who are feeling agitated now. That's that innate sort of unsettling feeling yeah, inside. That it's like time to do something different. Yeah. And that indicates that there's another step, there's a place for us to go. And, and if we bring it into the real world and I said to you, Jason, you know, what are you agitated about at the moment? What, what if you sort of feel inside, what is, what's the next step for you? Certainly for me right now, I've got two major steps looming for me. My, my first parent in the very near future uh, passing away and my first child graduating school and leaving home. And both of them are just speaking right now like I'm just getting, you know, butterflies in my stomach and, and just like – it's an unknown. It's like I haven't been there before. I, I, I kind of had this, this zone of control for the last five or ten years. I'm thinking, oh, I've got this thing dialed, and now all of a sudden there's a, it's coming where I'd, it's ended my capacity to control it or, or feel in control of that moment. So yeah. that, it's, it's a real nervousness for me right now. As it should be. Yeah. I mean, a, a rite of passage, there's a challenge or an ordeal associated with every rite of passage. So – you know, if you think about your father who's, you know, he's going to pass, whether it's next week, next month, next year, yeah. he's in that stage. So you can do that well or you can do it badly. Yes. And so what would it look like for you from here until the time that your father passes, what would it look like if you were going to do that well? Do it well. For me right now that means taking care of him as best I can in a place where he feels loved and comfortable and not I'm looking for the right word, but discarded. Like it's kind of like, okay, it's the end. Like can we just put him over there until it finishes because I don't want to pay any attention to it. That, that's kind of like I want to do it, do that. I want to do the opposite to that. I want to have him around. I want the family there. Part of 
probably my baggage is like I'm the oldest in our our sibling hierarchy and I often feel probably more responsible than I should be for everybody, including my mum and dad. And what's the challenge for you? So it's, you said what how you would like to yeah. do it. What's the challenge in that for you? Challenge right now. With your dad. So I suppose the challenge is the balancing of right now uh, the commitment to myself and my uh, my wife and our relationship, the commitment to our children, and also business. You know, we, we've got a rather large business. It uh, it deserves a little bit of time, or, or takes a bit of time, at, and trying to balance that up, and just making sure that I don't feel like I've given um, one or the other the wrong priority. I suppose is that that's the part that I'm kind of struggling with right now. Yeah, you know, and by the way. Part of the challenge is there's no perfect answer. <laughs> it's not. It will not be a totally smooth, no. clean, easy yeah. process. Yeah. Um, and, and it is about stepping up into that challenge and, and deciding, you know, where do you need to be? Yeah. And, the, you, you know, our parents only pass once. You talked about that in the confronting part for me as, you, as you're sort of talking about it. And so the very confronting physical degradation of my father in front of my eyes having to wipe his bum because he can't get to the toilet. And and I, I know my brother is not is not at the same point as I am right now and he's like, I can't handle that. I can't be around for that. I don't want to see him like this. I want him with a different memory. I want him – I remember him as a strong man, a strong this and, and those sorts of things. And for me, I, I have the seesaw of both of those but um, – uh, not to sort of try and say I'm more enlightened than my brother, but I feel I can rationalise that that's okay. This is part of the process. I'm, I I check in on myself, and for me, those ones are the hardest ones for me to work with right now. Yeah, yeah. and part of the challenge is actually going to be to support your brother. Yeah, in where he's at. Yeah. So you know the the, the big rites of passage in our lives bring up all sorts of things. And as they come up, we have choice. That's where we have choice, how we deal with them. Yes. And I absolutely believe that the decisions that we make in these critical moments impact the rest of our lives. Totally. And for you to be able to be present and wipe your dad's bum and do whatever else needs to be done, you know, with love and, and support your brother at the same time, by, by being present and loving in – I mean, I, I look at the last year where I really learned about surrender. Mm. Like if this is what's coming up, I need to surrender to this, to be present and to be loving. Yeah. And it was a very and, – and I made a decision that I was going to do that. Yeah. And, and then when we, you know, we go to the other end of the staircase and your son, Callum, we're talking about, um, you know, ha- how will you do the next stage in his life well? Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel like that one I'm better at at this point in time than the other one. <laughs> um and thankfully, you know, working with, you know, yourself and other people in this space has been a part of my historical passion as well, working at a boys' school in the past, um, you know, doing lots of outdoor uh, education. Um, I think for, for me and Callum right now, I think the one that is the friction point probably in the circle of our family for his uh, his life is him choosing some different things about his education, university um, choices afterwards, and there's a little bit of friction in the family on that, um, which is which is uh, which is interesting and coming up for him, uh, my wife, and and myself. We all have sort of three different opinions in that one. And again, I think I surrender with Callum, well, well, um, 
and probably the question is probably like how am I dealing with my daughter to be honest which is which is the one I was saying to you I haven't done as much work on and you say well, like the rites of passage is as powerful if not more powerful sometimes with your daughters as well as your sons um, male and female alike we all have these rites of passage we go through yeah and and every time we go through a rite of passage we not only step up but our relationship with everybody on the staircase changes. Changes. So, you know, with you and your daughter, you've got a 16, about to be 16-year-old daughter. That's a major shift in her life. Yes. And, in fact, there's research that's come out that the better a father's relationship is with his daughter, the older she's likely to be when she has her first sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it makes sense when you think about it. Yep. If they're getting the attention they need from their fathers and, and that's their male role model, they're, you know, they're comfortable with that. And if they're not, they may well go looking for it somewhere, somewhere else. else yeah. So, you know, the, the father-daughter relationship is such a critical one. And, and one of the things that, because uh, we do a lot of work now with girls and in girls' schools and, and we do father-daughter events, um, and one of the things that we say to all the fathers is find something that you and your daughter enjoy doing together yep. and that you can do one-on-one, -on -one, turn off your mobile phone and just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything that you and your daughter enjoy doing together these days? Yeah, we do. And, and again, it was, uh, it was instigated by the, some of the conversations we had many years ago. We, we go rock climbing together. And it's yeah. her thing, and she actually she actually won't let her brothers come. So it's it's her time for for her and I. So we we, we do that uh, nicely. So I think um I think that uh, that's that's a nice place. I, I like it there. I'm so grateful that she's come along to somewhere that I feel special, you know, um, and enjoy doing. So you know, it, that's part of now making sure. I suppose this next part of this rite of passage transition with her supporting her, making sure that I don't bring my rules to it, work with her flexibly on sort of how we can stay connected in that way as she changes and grows up and becomes a young adult and, and those sorts of things as well. Yeah, because one of the things is about having the best relationships we can ongoing yeah. so that when the transition times happen, we're in the best position possible to support whoever's going through it. So. This idea of doing something one-on-one, -on -one, I recommend to all parents to have something one-on-one -on -one that you do with your children yes. and this whole thing of turning off the mobile phone, not asking them a million questions, just being together like you would with, you know, someone who you enjoyed spending time together yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. But not only for with your children, with your partners having something special you do and with mm. your own parents yeah. having something that you do. Um, and and that, that really builds a relationship and, and supports for critical times in life when they happen. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, with my parents, certainly with my dad, his place was going to the pub. Uh, and my brother loved going to the pub with my dad. And because my dad has been an alcoholic since as whenever he could remember, probably 12 or 14, abandoned, uh, uh, left home early, quite an uh, interesting story of his journey. I rejected it angrily, like alcoholic, you know, choosing that over us. And so I, I'd, and it, and it was probably, regret's probably not the right word, but it's one of those things I wish I wouldn't have vehemently opposed because, you know, 
because I wouldn't go and have a beer with him at the pub, I didn't have to get drunk. I could just have one beer. Or I could even drink lemonade. Um, I, I, I think there were some of those things that I wish I could have had some time with him. Now, because he's he's got Alzheimer's or um, dementia, so some of those things I want to talk to him about now, like it's just not possible. you know. And I suppose that's kind of the message in what you're saying. Find one-on-one time as a parent and also vice versa with your parents because, you know, those times are special and, you know, it's probably something that it's kind of a habit is good to build or, or you know, there, there's a bridge there that in the tough times you'll find your way back to that bridge is where you connect. Yeah, look, definitely they are good things to do. But also a reminder for you that – None of us are perfect. Yeah. And, and we'll, we can all look back and have regrets on things we didn't do, we didn't <laughs> say, we didn't, we didn't go to and all of that. It's also about, okay, from here, how do I want to be? Yeah. You know, it's good to acknowledge the things that we haven't done so well, but then it's about, okay, moving forwards. If I can do this in the best way possible, how can I, you know, support whoever it is that I love? Yep. In their journey. Yeah. Because I do really look at life as a journey, mm. but it's, as I say, it's not a smooth, gradual journey up a up a, a walkway. It's not linear. No, it yeah. really is a staircase and some of the stairs are different sizes than others. And, yeah. um, you know, we go through some big transition moments. And as you've described, you've got a few going on at the moment. Your father's in the process of passing. Yep. Your son's about to step up into as a young man. Your daughter's 16, yeah. about to be. Yeah. And, you know, and that that will com, you know will completely transform your life. Yeah, yeah. And it's the visual is great for me right now. I like the idea of like seeing kind of there's these bigger steps or smaller steps in this kind of next part of a rite of passage for you know three or four places in my life, which gives me a little bit of context, which is fantastic. Talk to me about the the communication of sharing stories because often uh, as a parent and, and you know, you say, well, let's not let's not um, tell our kids. You know, do as we say, not as we did. You know, yeah, mum and dad. You know, one day uh, I got in trouble, I got arrested by the police, I stole a car or whatever. Oh, let's not talk about that. Like the power of stories passing on. You know, uh, good connection, thinking, decision making. You know, is part of the work in that sort of journey. Yeah, look, I think stories are coming out more and more as just such an important way of passing on wisdom and knowledge, mm. but also of building community. Um, I was very lucky. I won a scholarship to Harvard Business School some years ago, and all of the teaching there now is done with case studies. So they give you a case study of how Starbucks coffee de- dealt with the fair trade issue 20 years ago and what the Red Cross did when HIV first happened and got into the blood and uh, how the evangelical churches in America did certain things. So you read the case study and you learn from the story, which is what a case study is, yeah. rather than them telling you what to do. And and we just got so much knowledge hearing those stories. And when we run programs and we have you know young people listening to the stories of their parents or other parents or elders the knowledge that gets passed on is extraordinary. You know, if we do a father-son camp, we'll we'll get the men, we'll sit around man-boy, man-boy in a circle. We'll get the men to tell a story about what it was like when they were the age that their sons were mm. and the relationship they had with their own fathers. Yeah. That's a huge story for a lot of men and, in fact, a lot of men cry. Yes. And that would have been, a, I'm sure, a massive story for you. Yeah. And the boys hear this and then at the end, 
if we say to the boys, if you become a father, you know, what would you like your son to say about you? And what the boys tell us is extraordinary. Yeah. But if we spent two hours telling the boys how they have to be as fathers, it would have been they just shut down. They wouldn't. But they pick it up from the stories. Mm. And then when people sit together and they share their personal stories, especially their vulnerable stories, then something special happens. Yeah. And, in fact, there's some research which has come out recently which shows that when people sit in a group together and someone shares a vulnerable story, there is a release of oxytocin. Yeah. And oxytocin actually creates empathy. So when people sit in a circle together and they share that story, it builds empathy within that community. And that, when you build empathy and you start creating community, then you're supporting each other. Then, you know, mm. all sorts of things can happen. And it doesn't matter what age you are. We all need community. We all need a sense of belonging. And we all need to be learning. So sharing stories has a, a you know, hugely powerful effect in many, many different ways. So we always use it in our rites of passage. And, in fact, when I study rites of passage from all around the world and we discovered that all traditional communities created rites of passage at multiple Places Multiple in a levels. person's yep. journey. Yep. They looked at their life journey as one journey. They caught, you know, for them it was a spirit journey. But but you know, it's a, you go through a journey and, and at each stage when they created a rite of passage, they would take the whoever was going through the rite of passage away for a period of time. And part of what they would do while they're away was share stories. Yeah. And they'd hear the stories of the people further up on the staircase than they are. Yeah. So that, you know, they would learn and and they would also share their own stories as a way of building community. Yeah. But just thinking about, you know, right now as you're saying, okay, sharing those stories and one of the things in my head that popped up is the conversation about becoming an elder. Uh, conversation going on certainly um, – powerful conversation about helping our children and, and our, our young people, you know, uh, epidemic, if you want to call it that, of, of suicide and depression and other things in, you know, in our, in our teenagers and so on. Is there anything on your radar in that elder space that you could share? And, and, on and, my radar, mate, I'm 57. <laughs> it is my radar. How, you do, know? You, how do you sort of uh, rite of passage that one? I just, it's just something that's popped up for me right now. Yeah. Um, so when I started doing this work years ago, uh, a friend of mine, a professor, said, if you're going to talk about, you know, boys becoming men, you've got to write a model on what's the difference between a boy and a man. Yes. You know, and I, I wrote this model around boy behaviour and healthy man behaviour. Yeah. And boy behaviour, typical boy behaviour, which you see in a six to eight-year-old and is normal, is, you know, I'm the centre of the universe uh -huh. and I want constant acknowledgement and I want power and um, I can't handle my emotions. If I don't get what I want, I have a temper tantrum. I'm going to live forever. And I want a mother, yeah. mother to do everything for me. And that's fine in a six to eight-year-old. And then healthy man behavior is I'm part of a community. And power is for doing good within my community. Mm. And I can handle my emotions. If I don't get what I want, I'm allowed to be upset or angry, but I'm not allowed to swear and, and punch people out. You know, and I'm mortal. I'm going to die one day, and yeah. um, and I'm I'm not looking for a mother. 
but I'm actually looking for a relationship. Mm. That's healthy man behavior. And I have this great concern that we have a lot of men in our community who still function as boys, even though they have man bodies. So they still think they're the center of the universe. They still just want as much power as possible. If they don't get what they want, they have a temper tantrum and will abuse people in their family and their workplace. They think they're going to live forever and they're looking for a mother mm. and, and think that women are there to serve them and for their own use. Yep. And, in fact, I'm really concerned that we live in a world where a lot of the leaders of big business and our major politicians are boys. Mm. And that's a disaster. They haven't they haven't had a rite of passage or maturity. They haven't had a rite of passage, and they're just thinking about themselves, yeah. and their own power, and not taking responsibility for their actions. And yeah, that's a big problem. Yes. And, and you know, whenever I give talks, and I say to the women, "Do any of you know any men who you know still think they're the center of the universe, want power, want a mother?" All the women, it's like this penny drops, and they go, "Oh my God." You know, if their husband's there, they look at their husband, they look back, there's this sort of embarrassed Married to an eight-year-old still. Yeah. yeah. And so that was the boy-to-man model. And it's yeah. been a and, – and there's a similar girl-to-woman model, child-to-adult. Sure. But then in the last year or so, I've extended the boy-to-man model to boy-to-man to elder. Yeah. And elder is as different from man as man is from boy. So – and I'm still working on the elder model, but as an elder – I would say a healthy elder, it's not about building empires and power anymore. Mm. It's actually about supporting the next generation to come through. It's about really being loving. It's about genuinely accepting death. Mm. It's about changing your relationship with time. It's about really connecting in with the young and seeing them as the future rather than thinking about yourself. And we desperately need elders in our community. Yeah. And one of the big things that, um, you know, we all know that we have a major problem with our young, our teenagers, the levels of mental health and youth suicide. It's all over. The, it's very accessible to find out that there's a major problem there. Yeah. What we much less often talk about is that there's a, as big a problem in our elders. They are, a lot of them are depressed and isolated. We put them in homes. Uh, and the ones who are healthy will often leave. They get in their caravans and go off. Leave society. Yeah, and leave society, Or they're on the golf course. Yeah. You know, and so then the thing that we almost never talk about is that the problem with the young and the problem with the elders are connected because in the ideal world, and this is what used to happen in Indigenous communities and a lot of Asian communities, the role of the elders is to look after and support the young. Mm. The circle's been broken. Yeah, and when the elders are connecting with the young, they can see the gifts of the young. They have patience for the young. They <laughs> love so being true. with them. Yep. The young be- love being with the elders, and, and the elders get energy from the young and they get purpose. Yeah. And then on top of that, it frees up the ones in the middle, the parents, to go out and do their thing in the world. Mm. And when we remove the elders from that equation... The parents are having to balance work, life, family, a million different things. It's stressful and the young are not getting, you know, the attention and what they need. So they're on their computers now these days and iPads and the, and the, the adults are stressed and got too many things going on Yeah. and the elders are not there but the elders don't have purpose anymore. Yes. And so that's something that I would really like to see shift and, and our whole respect around elders where 
This is where, once again, we've got so many things upside down. We worship youth. The you sibling know, society. Yeah, every, the the adolescent society. Yeah, you know, everybody yeah. wants to be young, forever yeah. young. I want to be forever young. Like what a lot of bullshit, <laughs> you know. And there are communities around the world where the older you are, the more respect you get. Yeah. You know, there's a tribe in Africa, I'm going to be a bit conscious, whatever, that where the women with saggy breasts get the most respect because they're breastfed. Yeah. You know, and – we live in a world where plastic surgery, my brother's a plastic surgeon. He's booked out two years ahead mm. trying to support people to look like they're lower down on the staircase. Upside down. Yeah. It's a fascinating concept because by either accident or default or by a little bit of design, I've had my parents with me for the last 10 years. We, they, they literally came to visit for a month and they haven't left. I've I got a granny flat at my house and we've got an acre and, and it's been fantastic. And just hearing you say these things, so many pennies are dropping for me, you know, in that sort of space. My dad's alive now because he came to live with us for 10 years. If he, if he would have stayed where he would, he was going to be dead in a year. And how was it having your parents there and your children? Amazing. Best. If you would have asked me two or five years beforehand, I would have, I would have literally said, not, not ever will that be my life. My parents living with me. I couldn't wait to leave my home because I wanted to be away from them. And I left at sixteen and nine months uh, as a young, as a young child, young fellow. And I was like, no, never again. And then it was. It has been the most fantastic experience for my children, uh, and. I think for them and, and then certainly third for me to have them there. It's been amazing. And by the way, in many ways, that's what you're supposed to do. Yes. The young are supposed to go out, find their own path, find their – there's a famous story called The Half Boy, which is an old African story about a boy who's born, he's only got half a body, one arm, one leg, and, and he and he's, um, grows up in the village and he starts causing trouble and he has to leave. And he's about 16 years and nine months old. Yeah. And he leaves and he goes on a whole journey and one day he comes to a river and he sees someone walking towards him and it's another half boy. And they, they get up to each other, they face each other, they start wrestling and fighting and then they roll down into the river and they, the river's frothing and everything and they disappear under the water. And then they're gone. And then sometime later <gasps> an arm appears and another arm and they come out and, and they're, they're whole. It's a whole boy, a whole young man. Mm. And they slowly learn to walk and they go on this whole journey and they come back and they see smoke in the distance and there's a village and they come up and there's an old man standing outside the village and the, the, the young man says, uh, where am I? And the old man says, you're home mm. and we've been waiting for you. And the, and the young man comes in and there's this huge celebration and the whole village comes out because the man has come home. And then that man meets a woman and one day the woman goes into labour and, oh, look, She's had a half boy and it starts again. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So what you describe as, you know, leaving, building your own world and then reconnecting with your elders, your parents, and giving them the opportunity to spend time with your children and the opportunity for your children to spend time, time with, with them, them. Yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. We've, we've chatted probably predominantly about men, but you were talking about doing, you know, extreme amount of work with young women and, 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 uh, Girls' schools at the moment is part of like you know uh, an extra focus for you in the in the last little while, you know in and around the the ladies' rites of passage, you know 
what are the is there differences is there kind of nuances or you know is it is it very much the same and and we've just got to sort of you know tweak it a little bit as we go along yeah it's a great question and i am working in schools more and more my aim has always been to get rites of passage into the mainstream again love it where it used to be yes and we started working you know just running camps and then moved into boys schools and then uh, we set up some programs in schools and we had the sister schools start to ring us and say hey We've got parents here whose boys go to the school down the road and they're going, why don't we have something like this here for our girls? Yeah. And um, so a, a rite of passage uh, runs along a particular format and that, that format has three stages. And it's about, so if we talk about this transition from child to adult, boy to young man, girl to young woman, child to adult, and, and it's about removing the the children who are ready to become young adults they're agitated for a period of time because you can't do it at school during nine to five and no. you know, so yeah. you remove them in a school camp or going away somewhere and then they go away and they go through a transformation I'll come back to that and then ideally they come back into the community they integrate and they're now seen as young adults and they're treated as young adults and they act as young adults and so we create programs in schools to do that process. And the the tricky part is what do you have to do to create this transformation? Yeah. And my study has been around looking at rites of passage all over the world and realizing that they all use the same elements and we can use those elements in our rites of passage. And so the first element is what we said, the sharing of stories. Uh So the girls or the boys share their stories with each other, which builds community and they need that community and belonging. But hopefully they also get to hear the stories of elders, either their parents or or, or other elders uh, or, or, you know, there's different ways that you can share Teachers, stories. Teachers, aunties, uncles. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so that's very powerful for them. Yep. Then we get them to um, uh, look at what's their vision. You know, what sort of adults do they want to be? Mm. How do they want to be in the world? And mm. and by the way, when we do these programs, they don't have their mobile phones. Hopefully they're in nature. They've got enough time. And, and they will, you know, seriously think about and create a vision for how they want to be as adults. Um, then we always, you know, there's a challenge that we put them through, which might be spending some time on their own or, or a long hike or can be all sorts of things. But part of that challenge is for the, each of the children, and they're all different, to look at, okay, what are my challenges in life? What are the things that could stop me from being who I want to be and who I know I can be? And how am I going to deal? How am I going to deal with that? Mm. And that's you know, imagine if a child or a young adult actually has a vision and can recognise what their own challenges are and have strategies for dealing with those challenges. Powerful process. Incredible. Yeah. And then the final aspect of this rite of passage is to recognize that each of them is different and they each have their own unique gifts and talents, so their own unique genius and spirit, and to name what those gifts are that we see in them. Mm. So we do a process called honoring where each of the, the young adults sits on a chair and if their parents are there, we call the parents up. Yep. Uh, if they're not there, it can be teachers, it can be their peers, uh, and, you know, they tell them, what, what what are the gifts we see? What do we admire about them? Uh, what do we what do we love about you? What do we see are the gifts that you have? 
and we're really acknowledging and honoring the individual person and saying, we want you to be you. Yeah. Not what you see on the internet, not what you see in the media, not what everyone else tells you, but who are you? We see you have all these gifts. And one of the things we know about children is that often they don't recognize their own gifts or they don't value them. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of pressure for them to conform. So we're trying to break that mold and say, look, you know, some of you will be great at art. Some of you will be great at telling stories. Some of you are fantastic at maths. Some are fantastic with animals. Some are fantastic with people. Some are creative. And we need all of those roles in our community. And if we can, we can support you to do what you love and what comes from within you, that's when you're going to shine and that's when your gifts are really going to come out. Yeah. And that is a very powerful process for the young ones. But this goes at any age. Mm. And, you know, and, and I've heard you share some of your story about your father and I've heard you talk about your challenges with your father and your son and your daughter and your vision for each of them. So, you know, the next step in that would be around this, what we talk about honouring. And if I was going to say something, well, the first thing I'd say is you're not allowed to say a word from this point until I say you can. You're not allowed to run away. And this is an opportunity for me to say to you, you know, Jason, I actually see you've got fantastic gifts. And one of the gifts that I would really like to acknowledge and honour is that I see you are hungry for life. Like ever since I've known you, which is good 10 plus years now, you're always pushing yourself. You're looking for the next thing. You're being creative. And and it's not only in your business, it's with your family and, and with Callum and with your daughter and and even having your parents come and living with you and 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 what you've set up and that you're doing these podcasts and you know you're not prepared to just sit back and say I've done enough and I'm going to stop you you want to do more and and I see you trying to be the best that you can be and and um as I say being hungry for it and I and I see that as a gift in you and I really honor it and and I and I want to name it. So, thank you. Thanks, mate. That that means a lot. Yeah, and there's a number of other things I could talk about, but you know that's just giving an example. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, there's one other thing I'll say. Even though I don't see you very often, you've been a friend. And anytime I do see you, or if I get in contact with you, I always feel like you know that bloke's a friend. Mm. And, and as a man, I like having good men friends, and I like having people who I feel like. I could trust, or if I needed something, I could speak to that person, um, and that's a, that's a gift of a different nature, but that I also want to acknowledge and honour. Thanks, mate. That's, that's that's wonderful. It, it, it was it was very powerful for me to do that same thing for Callum as well, and and just feeling that emotional power in in a very similar way. It, it it's one of those things that I think I'll remember for the rest of my life. Uh, and I and I, I think Callum will too because I do remember that that moment when we stood there, and and I like I was, by the end of it I was crying and snot coming out and and the whole thing and it was it was it was just amazingly powerful to to do that and and we don't get a chance or we don't we're not reminded or it's not part of our everyday vernacular or or focus yeah. to to acknowledge in that way. And Callum will remember that mm. for the rest of his life. Mm. And and we want to create a culture. So in Australia. We're actually famous for cutting down the tall poppy. Yes. 
you know, we, we, the banter and the, the jokes, which are not actually fully jokes and, you know, giving each other a hard time. You know, imagine if instead of giving each other a hard time, we're acknowledging supporting each other and looking for each other's gifts and, and, you know, really helping people to bring out what they have. And, you know, this process of honoring people doesn't have to be just parents to children. We can do it with our friends. Everybody. We can do it with our own parents. We yep. can do it with our partners. And it's about, you know, creating a space and just telling people what you love and admire about them. It could be in small things. You know, if I'm out surfing and I see a kid catch a good wave, I'll say when he comes back, mate, I saw that. That was good and, you know, well done. Or if I'm walking down the street and the kid's got a skateboard, I'll say, show us your best trick. And then whatever he does, I'll say, hey, mate, that's really impressive and, you know, great, good on you. And you see them. See them stand a bit taller and yeah. puff up their chest and, you know, it's, it's not actually a hard thing to do and it's very possible. Very powerful. Well, it's been fantastic to chat with you today and I, I, I seriously could sit here for another two or three hours if we had the time to dive down many of these tracks that you you've, uh, uh, are working on now and I, and I think the world's going to be a much better place for it and, and I want to express my gratitude for you doing this work and bringing it to the world because – it's certainly something that's that's impacted me and my family, and I want to say thank you for that um, personally, and then maybe extend that to others out there too, because I know Anna that uh, that the world is an interesting place, and those who stand up and stand for something um, and take their passion to the world with I know it's not easy, and and I certainly speak from my point of view, and I and I don't know. The background either because sometimes it's not easy to to take your message and continue to go and I, I do say thank you for me and many others so it's been awesome to spend some time with you today it's a pleasure it's an absolute pleasure and you know look we're trying to get this in the mainstream and yeah. if people are interested in our work we have a, a website where can they track you down the rights of passage institute spelled r-i-t-e-s rights of passage institute.org we run camps for fathers and sons for Mothers and sons, fathers and daughters, all different ages. We do a lot of leadership training now. We have a three-day rights of passage leadership training for it's, for adults. For any, adults, anybody? yes, yeah, for adults, we're supporting them to uh, understand more about rights of passage, and we do it by teaching the framework, but also creating a rite of passage for the people who come along, awesome. and then supporting them to create their own program in their own way in their own communities. And we're working in schools, and we'd like to see this in schools across the country and. Uh, you know, we've set up programs in about 50, 60 schools now in over 40 countries around the world and it's just at the beginning but we would really love to see this come into the mainstream so hopefully people will check out our website and find ways that they can get involved. Well, I can absolutely 100% uh, endorse the stuff that you guys are doing. It's, it's, it's game-changing and it's world-class. So thank you very much. One last question I always ask my, uh, my podcast guest is, what is the true meaning of wealth to you, Anna Rubenstein? Oh, true meaning of wealth. Well, on a personal level, I think that wealth is uh, probably based on three things. Uh, your family, the quality of the relationships you have with your family, your health, and time. Mm. If you have a good family, if you're healthy and you've got time to enjoy life, that is definitely, in my opinion, high net worth wealth. Love it. Perfect way to finish. Thank you very much. My pleasure. 
Hey, thanks for joining us on The Wealth Faculty. Hope you enjoyed. Make sure you subscribe. Where all good podcasts are found, you can find us there. And if you want to watch it, you can subscribe on YouTube, Positive Mentor TV. And until the next episode, take care. Bye for now.